The Cloudcast is sponsored by Intel Cloud for All, driving the creation of tens of thousands of clouds. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of The Cloudcast. Uh, we're coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, it's been a while um, because we we had some technical difficulties. Then we got through the te- technical difficulties. Then I actually missed one, and and you picked up Amy Lewis, and I I feared for my job. I thought you know, uh, hopefully uh, I was going to be able to keep going with the with the Cloudcast. So thanks for having me back, Brian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good to have you back. I know if it had gone too, we might have had to get rid of you. So uh, hey, you're gonna you're gonna be proud of me. I uh, I watched the I watched the preview for the. The next Star Wars movie is that what's it yes. called? Rebel, Rebel One, or it's, Re- but, yes. the, but this one is like before the Rogue Star Wars one. movies, right? Yes, yes, okay. exactly. It's the the time in between, if you will. It's okay, uh, so way back when of how did they get the Death Star plans, right? Yeah. So so here's my thing, right? So so Star Wars is is apparently set in the future, right? Like way in the future. Yep. Okay. So so here's my question because I, we may have to shut the podcast down because of this. So <laughs> uh, so if I if I picked it up right. You basically have you have this person who's going to is going to steal the plans for the Death Star, and <clears throat> somehow, and then the next movie doesn't take place for like another twenty years or something, right? Or ten years or five years or something, right? Sort of. Okay. Yep. So, so explain this to me. Number one, how did the plans not leak out into the internet? <laughs> <laughs> Num- well, number two, number two, how did how was there not an open source Death Star then built from those plans? True. Open, because open if those things, if, because yeah, if yeah. those things aren't going to happen, all this stuff that we're doing right now is completely useless. Because we're, of course, sort of convinced that's the way things get built these days. And if that's not going to happen in the future, we might have to shut down the podcast. Fair enough. Well, <laughs> let's let's ask our guest. So, so our guest this evening, we have uh, Mitchell Hashimoto from uh, HashiCorp, founder of HashiCorp. Hello. And it's been a little while, Mitchell. It's been I went by look. It's been at least a year since you've been on the podcast. So welcome back. Thanks for having me again. Yes, yeah, and, I, think, and, I think it's been about a year and a half. It's yeah, really it's been a, it's been way too long. And so, so what's your thoughts, man? O- open source Death on the Star? Death Star? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, it sounds mostly like a funding issue more than anything else. <laughs> I think there's there's plenty of motivated engineers to build uh, something the caliber of a Death Star out there. <laughs> so yeah, so now people just have to figure out when the when the the downturn is for the next funding round for the Death Star. You gotta get you gotta get it before that happens. So. Yeah, <laughs> Aaron, I thought you'd be proud of me, though. I, I got a little bit of science fiction in my yes, life. Yes, I know. I'm, I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so Mitchell, let's just, just jump right into it. Um, sure. I mean, it's like you were saying, it's been probably a year and a half since you've been on the show. And, and things are changing so fast, both with HachiCorp as well as just the market in general. So, so what are yeah. you seeing? What's going on? What's interesting to you these days? Oh man, yeah, a lot's been happening. Um, I think that uh, you know, I think we continue now. I say we in a very general sense here, like as a as an industry, just continue to push the the boundaries of of automation and and ease of application deployments and infrastructure management. And you know, I think since we talked, I think some major, I mean, the major things probably that are happening has been uh, you know at, at the fringe edges, like things like. Uh, Fringe edges, things like Lambda, you know, coming out is kind of interesting, and uh, 
and even the rise of you know things like Kubernetes sort of uh, overtaking in some ways the container world uh, hype machine and uh, and I mean everything else has been chugging along too. So it's just been uh, more and more new fancy things and and from our perspective from like a customer perspective i mean we work with enterprises and it's been more and more just cloud adoption uh, more than anything and, and that's been really fascinating to watch yeah you guys you know one of the things that we always like about having you on the show is um i mean you guys have always been super pragmatic right you, you know you started as people who were who were building and you know you were, you were running things you built tools that you needed for yourselves you turned it into HashiCorp, you know vagrant and everything else and um so we always like to get the perspective on that um you guys recently made uh, all of your tools compatible with Azure, which is, yeah. um, you know, everything for a long time was AWS, AWS. And um, what's the, you know, obviously the, the, the Microsoft team has been doing a lot of really cool things. What are you hearing from your customers in terms of the services from Azure they like or just Azure in general? What's, what's driving them to, to push you guys to be more, you know, Azure friendly and, and capable and everything? Yeah, um, and uh, I do want to just mention that we we did a big Google push too, so not to leave them out. But okay. um, but Azure Azure is really interesting because I think that uh, overall we're seeing a lot of interest in non Amazon clouds infrastructures right now, um, and I have various opinions on that. But uh, from an Azure perspective, I think they're doing a really fantastic job. Uh, uh, Microsoft in general of of kind of catering to their their current and sort of uh, not you know lost customers probably since everyone used to run run Windows but um, uh, you know people that are already Windows shops are very comfortable with sort of where Azure is going and we're seeing a lot of requests to uh, use Azure and and to be fair I mean the the companies that are requesting us use Azure are not you know the uh, hot Silicon Valley startups. They're usually more boring, older, successful companies. But um, you know, I think that's that's a really good sign for cloud in general that the boring companies are adopting cloud. And and whether that's Azure or Amazon or whatever, it's a good sign for everyone. And and it motivated us to support Azure because, like you said, we're the we're the pra- we, or we try to be you know the the pragmatic uh, vendor, so to speak. So a lot of these old uh, successful companies happened to come to us just because our tools work with a lot of things and, and Azure popped up and we did a big unified push across all our open source projects to to support Azure and it was it was difficult it wasn't easy but Microsoft uh, we worked with them and they were a big help um, in getting things going I think that um, you know they weren't used to the level of automation and API usage that our tools push you know they're they're more used to this slower UI based stuff so we found some issues they fixed them um, we gave some feedback on the API and and I think that things are looking pretty good now yeah so you bring up multiple kind of interesting points there now I kind of will run through <clears throat> them here of so first of all yeah you, I've heard from multiple folks now that that the Azure stuff from an API standpoint was was a little behind but they also seem to be really willing to work with folks to address some of those gaps over time. So that's, that's interesting. But I also am wondering too, when you, when you're saying like, okay, you've got things working with Azure, we, you've got things working with Google cloud. And I don't know that we've ever talked about it on the show per se, but, but Brian, you were out at the, the Google compute conference. Yep. Um, 
And it almost seems like if I'm going to really over stereotype for a second, it almost seems like Google Compute has in some ways almost taken that startup market that that Amazon is now pushing yeah. towards the enterprise and then Azure is super enterprise. So it's almost like three flavors of cloud depending on your market. And I don't know if that's necessarily what you saw, Brian, but I was kind of watching the re- the keynotes remotely. But Mitchell, does that sound like a fair assessment of the state of the big three public clouds these days? That's it. Sounds pretty. I mean, it's it's very insightful. I think that I'm not sure if it the market segments that cleanly, but um, you know, Google's pushing really hard in terms of uh, credits and features. I mean, they're they're you know they're shipping Container Engine and uh, the Kubernetes stuff and things like that. That that caters very much to the greenfield startup crowd. Um, and Azure doesn't really ever get you know pitched as the with the the sexy features or anything like that, but uh, I've been hearing some good things. And you know, one of the major things that Azure does that no other uh, public cloud provider, well, no, none of the big three public cloud providers have currently, is they have Azure Stack, which is the on-premise solution that gives you Azure equivalent APIs just on your own premises. So uh, I think that's very very attractive to the to the old old enterprise, big enterprise. And so I think it's really interesting to see all their different strategies go. Um, and it's too early to tell what's going to happen. Um, but I'm sure in another couple of years, we'll know a lot more. Uh, but from a HashiCorp perspective, you know, we work with all of them. Uh, they all, they all work and, and, and I like all of them for different reasons. And, and so you can't really go wrong today with infrastructure providers. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, let me ask this. You, uh, you, cause you guys see kind of this really broad spectrum. Um, are you seeing any anything in terms of trends for, uh, you know, especially in the enterprise? Because again, you guys, like, like you've always said, you're sort of targeting the enterprise. Um, any any trends sort of popping up that are sort of that second wave? You know, what what's getting them started into wanting to use the cloud and, and and automation more, or just a second wave of like the types of projects that you're seeing? You know, not the really early adopters, the, you know, the skunkworks projects, but the, the more mainstream types of things, any, any trends you're seeing there or patterns that are starting to emerge? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, to be completely clear for any like listeners too, like the, the customers we see, I mean, the paying customers we see are, are at big enterprises and the adoption we see is from commu- like the millions in, in the community and startups and stuff. So we, we see both, um, which is kind of interesting. We're a lot, you know, more, close to the enterprises just because we work with them and have sales deals with them and things like that. But I think the, the mainstream trend that's kind of interesting um, with these enterprises is, is broad adoption of the cloud across industries I wouldn't expect to be using uh, uh, the cloud so early. Um, but also the companies that were a little bit more forward-thinking and are starting to complete or be very confident in their cloud transitions, if they're uh, we're, we sort of see that the cloud transition from full physical to full cloud takes a number of years, and and for the companies that are sort of nearing the end, if they're you know a year away and they're confident, you know that the path is clear how they get there. What they're starting to do now, which is really really interesting, is they're starting to plan uh, a, a secondary cloud and so a secondary provider. So uh, you know everyone, I think you know the elephant in the room is mostly everyone's moving uh, to AWS, and they're they're the big one. Um, but we're seeing a lot of these companies say, okay, we're, we're 90% on AWS. We'll be 98% on AWS in 12 months. Uh, the team that kickstarted the AWS transition uh, is going to break off, and now we're going to figure out our Azure plan. 
And and what's interesting is they seem to not be doing it for they don't actually plan on moving to, to like this secondary cloud platform, whatever they choose. Um, they're using it as a leverage sort of mechanism, which is like if if we could work with tools like HashiCorps and be cloud agnostic in a way, and we have a tested plan, you know, a, and a rehearsed plan for transitioning all of our services to another cloud platform in say like six to eight weeks. Um, then we have a lot of leverage in terms of price negotiations and things like that. Because if someone is willing to give us a really good deal for like a three-year reserved price, then then we could be there and we got locked in and that's great. Um, but when that negotiation sort of comes up for pricing, then we have a lot of leverage in terms of like, well, if this doesn't work out in two months, we could be on a totally different cloud platform. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting. I, you know, I'm, I'm seeing it pop up here and there and I'm kind of curious if that's going to be a, a thing um, over the next uh, few years. So, yeah. Well, and it almost suddenly becomes a combination of, you know, the utility pay-as-you-go model, but but locking in discounts longer term to almost where, like, you know, in the infrastructure world, you, you bought servers every three years and you bought, you know, storage every five to seven years and and you always at the end of those contracts renegotiated and, and you, you know, there's pairing everyone against each other and, you know, having everyone fight it out of who gets the, your business for the next couple of years. Well, guess what? It came to the utility model as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I mean, I think that's going to push the, the sort of where the money is in that industry. It's going to push it to, uh, you know, higher level things. So that's where things like, you know, uh, you know, what we're doing, things like security, but where, what other people are doing, like Kubernetes become very interesting because uh, that's not at the utility, you know, it's not utility scale for probably a number of years. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes, it makes total sense. It's the classic, you know, enterprise second vendor, you know, leverage third vendor sort of leverage type of thing. Um, the, the other thing I, I saw that was sort of interesting when I was at, at the Google event and, and I won't disclose the customer just cause I can't remember if I was supposed to be under NDA or not. But, um, uh, one of the things they brought up was they, um, while they look at say the Google cloud as, you know, you know, one entity, um, they sort of look at the regions of how they deploy or where they deploy as sort of, you know, their own thing. So they're watching like, you know, how quickly services get into Southeast Asia or Brazil or something like that. Um, you know, what's close to Russia. They're, they're watching kind of those competitive things within the cloud just as cl- as, as closely as they're watching like the pricing, you know, so they're, you know, and, and this was an international company and, and operate all over the place, but literally like they were, they were sort of saying, well, you know, deploying into certain regions of the world have different pain points. And if, you know, such and such a provider, whether it's Google or AWS or, or Azure or whoever can help me faster in that one or make it much less painless, um, cause it might be, you know, government issues. It could be tariff issues. It could be all sorts of things. Um, they're, they're starting to get to that level of intelligence in terms of, you know, how they're looking at the different clouds, which I thought was, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty sophisticated way of, you know, sort of next step forward. Yeah. Interesting. <sighs> so let's talk, let's talk nomad for a second. Um, because we sure. did kind of want to, as another topic, you mentioned Kubernetes and, and it seems like, um, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, if we were talking way back when it was everyone, everyone had their own OpenStack flavor. Now it seems like everyone has their own Kubernetes flavor. Um, <laughs> and, and like what I really wanted to talk about and, you know, to kind of kick it off is, 
is we, we, a while ago we saw Docker, um, you know, and swarm going, you know, up to like 30,000, 50,000 containers, something like that. Cloud Foundry is doing like 25,000. Um, and then Nomad comes out with, with 1 million containers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, which is an incredible number, but at the same time, you know, it makes me go, well, who, who, needs or does that and how do you how in the world would you manage one million containers right um so what are your thoughts around all of that in general right now and the kind of the state of the market yeah so so there's a lot i mean i you know from the we we've been working on the so we came out with nomad at our conference last year in in i think it was september uh nomad 0.1 and and before it was ever released you know i gave sort of a we're a small company or well the, the, the nomad team was a small team at the time and it was just a, a couple people and i was talking to them in person we we're all in town for the conferences before we ever announced nomad and and we're in our the, we're all in the same hotel and we're hanging out in one of the rooms and i was like well my goal is really we need nomad to schedule a million containers and and you know there was some people that were just super excited just because big numbers are exciting. And, and of course, there was immediate internal feedback of like, well, why? I mean, no one has a million containers. Like, no one needs a million containers. Why would we do that? And, and, and then when, when we announced it, there was that, that was our biggest sort of, uh, not negative, but uh, criticism in a way, uh, was why would you, like, why does that matter? And, and sort of my answer to that that I gave on Hacker News actually in a comment is sort of like, I, I, I fly a lot. Uh, I consider sort of like flying my hobby in a way, even though I mostly just do it for work. Um, I like to understand airlines. I like to understand airplanes. And and if you look at planes like uh, uh, Boeing's or Airbus's, they're so over-engineered. And the reason that they're over-engineered is because uh, you know that even in really stressful scenarios, they're so under their limit that you're going to be fine. So the example I use is the wings. Like wings... Uh, on the latest 787 um, are designed so that they could bend upwards uh, a significant number of degrees. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but um, let's just go with 45. It might actually be more than that, but they could bend maybe 45 degrees upwards and downwards. And and real in practice, um, you know, there's been no sort of events in recorded history where wings have ever bent that far. But uh, despite that, they can before they break. And and it's not because they're actually going to ever reach that point. It's because you know that as a user of the plane, whether you're buying the airplane and going to fly people or you are the person on the airplane, you know that's not going to be the failure case. So with Nomad, we really wanted to show that you know, if, if you needed to schedule a lot of things really quickly, then that's never going to be the problem with Nomad. And, and then the next question is, why would I ever want to schedule things really quickly? And and schedulers in general can be used as a replacement for a lot of queuing tasks. So we've started to use Nomad to replace our queues for things like user activation emails or uh, billing runs per user. Instead of do- scheduling the billing job that could overall fail, we just actually schedule a billing job for every user. So we suddenly inject thousands of billing jobs into the Nomad queue. And, and the reason is because if one user's billing job fails, Nomad will reschedule it. And that way, we we make things faster overall. Um, we don't have to deal with failure so much in the job itself. And we know that yes, in, on a day to day basis, Nomad doesn't get any influx of jobs. It's very very stable. It, it's just sitting there. But once a month, suddenly out of nowhere, it gets thousands in the matter of seconds. But now we know that that's never really going to fail. 
Um, and so that's what we're trying to show with uh, the Million Container Challenge. Interesting. It, 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 there's a couple of things that popped up when you were talking about that. I, um, you know, one of them was, you know, you're talking about it sort of replacing a queuing system, which, you know, makes me think of things like NATS and, and other, you know, big uh, queuing yeah. systems. But, but it also got me thinking about, um, you know, we've been doing a bunch of shows about serverless stuff and you start going, oh, okay. Um, you know, if I'm doing events, if I'm doing lots and lots of events, you could, you could definitely see as people start to get into stuff like IoT or any sort of, you know, you could be talking about building a service that's looking at, uh, you know, tweets during like the election or something like that, where you yep. literally have, you know, thousands, tens of thousands um, of things going on. And, and so, yeah, it, it sounds like a crazy number to begin with, but, you know, you, you start thinking about some of the things we live in the world today and it's like, yeah, we could very well come into play. The other thing that jumped, that, that sort of jumped to my mind was, um, you know, if, if you guys are doing a million and, you know, some of the, some of the other folks in the market are doing, you know, an order of magnitude less than that, give or take, do you have customers yet that are, that are sophisticated enough to start to understand the, the differences in some of these scheduling things? I mean, I, I you know, I know, in, in previous worlds when we were talking about, you know, network routing protocols or all, you know, you, you eventually got people who were really sophisticated and understand why one scale is better than the other. Do you, do you see that yet in the marketplace or do they just go, cool, it does a million. I'm not there yet. I'm going to trust you guys. Like it's good. (laughs) No, the understanding is, is strong. And I think the reason the understanding is strong is because if, if you even know what a scheduler is today, uh, you're, you're, you're sort of a step ahead, uh, uh, um, sort of on the, yeah. understanding train and so the understanding is really good i think that schedulers are still at a very very early not mainstream not being even deployed into production phase um but you know it's also something that is incredibly complicated complicated and and i think is the sort of paradigm of the future so it's it's a place we wanted to be and and every sort of major company is doing uh pocs and you know office of the cto type stuff uh, experimenting with schedulers and trying to figure them out, and we wanted to make sure that we were in there too. So that's sort of what we're doing. Um, but I think it's still we're still a, a one or two or three years off from uh, starting to see, see real uh, production deployments at, at a very large scale with these things. Yeah, it's interesting because we we almost have this cycle that that seems to be going over and over in the industry. No matter which which shiny object of technology is kind of the latest one of, it always starts with with a whole bunch of folks kind of getting into that area, and then uh, you know a bunch of confusion, and then eventually some kind of market shakeout and and long term consolidation down to just a couple players. But I mean these these cycles take three to five to seven years. Um, to, to shake out. And so I yeah. agree. It, it very much seems like we're in very, very early days with, with something like that, without a doubt. Yeah. And I think especially with schedulers, I think that, uh, you know, it's a very hard thing to enter in, in general, but I think that to make, to make one, a naive one is fairly simple and, and to make one that'll work in, in the, the necessary number of cases for a real production workload is, is very, very difficult. And so I think, um, I don't think we'll see too many, and I think that, like you said, sort of over the three to five year period, um, it'll sort of one will emerge or two will emerge as sort of the the ones that work. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let, let me ask you. You always come on and, and give us, um, you know, sometimes we talk about products, sometimes we'll talk about a product update, um, but we 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 always sort of uh, venture into this realm where you kind of go, you know, 
we have a bigger vision of how we want to do stuff. And I talked to you about Vagrant and you said there's a lot more to come. And then, you know, eventually it, it turned into Atlas. And um, so fill us in a little bit. Like we don't deal with a whole lot of security. I know security is kind of a passion for you, um, you know, in this space. Like talk to us a little bit about kind of where you see, you know, not just scheduling and automation, but, but kind of where security fits into that and, and what you hear from the market and, and kind of your, your bigger, your view on security in the data center and the cloud. Yeah. Uh, so we, as I, as I said, put some color on this, you know, we came out with vaults uh, last May, so it's still not even a year old. We're about to be a year old on vault. And despite not being a year old, it is uh, our fastest adopted project in production of all time. Um, it has, it is, become the revenue leader for, uh, for HashiCorp in less than a year, despite being so young. And, and, and it's been really interesting to see sort of how important security has been. And, and to us, it's, sort of, it's also sort of a surprise uh, at how quickly it's been adopted. And, and so our view on security is really that security doesn't really fit in a, in a, in a model, in a diagram of where things get laid in a data center because security is just everywhere. Like it would just be a layer on top of everything every single thing has to have some understanding of of security and 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 you know concepts like secret storage or identity or um authorization you know it ha- everything sort of has to have that sort of base level concept so um we built vault and our our view in security is uh, so we we call it model the zero trust data center and, and that that sort of concept is is we're going from where we had a, a physical uh, premise where you could actually see the entry points and at exit points of your data center, both both the network and and just physical entrances, and moving towards the cloud where everything is basically always connected, or it's unclear what isn't and isn't connected. You know, you could you can make more advanced networks, but it's all software, so it's not a real physical barrier. Um, and and in doing in both that switch and as well as just trends of you know in the United States, we've seen a lot of uh, breaches in the past few years. We've seen the whole uh, government and Snowden type uh, things come out in the past few years. And I think overall the mood has shifted to where uh, as people are transitioning to a the cloud, they're also taking it as an opportunity to to rethink security. And, and, and our model is, is zero trust. And that is basically that you start from uh, a position of not trusting anyone and not being able to do anything, and then that thing is given privilege uh, in various ways. So, um, as part of that model, uh, we sort of built Vault, and and sort of the the other uh, phrase or something you hear in the security world uh, from some people is is with security, what you want to do is put all your eggs in one basket and then put that basket in Fort Knox. And we're trying to make Vault Fort Knox is basically uh, you you really want to do security exceptionally well in one location, you know, strive for perfection in one, one place, um, rather than, uh, splitting your efforts across a number of different, uh, locations. So vault is trying to sort of own, uh, secret management, identity, um, certificates, uh, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, so we've been doing vault and I think that that's just the major trend, um, uh, of, of that sort of thing. You don't, you don't really have physical hardware security devices anymore. So HSMs, I think are, are going to struggle if they're not already um, sort of in the cloud world. Uh, and overall, it's going to be very, very different. And I think it's just the beginning. Uh, we're not, you know, we're not seeing the full integration of security with, with everything yet. 
Yeah, no, that makes it makes a ton of sense, and I think it's um, it, it's interesting as as we as we talk to a, a bunch of different companies, cloud companies, and and people in in this space and so forth. Um, security seems to be one of those things that you can you can sort of definitively go, yes, I I know I need that, and there's people who pay for it, and there's groups that you know sort of understand it, whether it's you know for new technology or old technology. So sort of security follows you know, general practices, whether it's, you know, the latest buzz or sort of old stuff. So it's, um, and, and, and it doesn't, I, I like the approach you guys have. It, it should be everywhere. It's not sort of a, a layer in a stack. It's not something you bolt on. It just, it has to be, it has to be there and, and be really good at at least a couple of things. So, um, very cool. Um, what's, uh, what's, what's coming up next for HashiCorp? You guys, you always have HashiConf, uh, is, is a new thing. It did really well last year. What's, What's going on with the company, and, and where can people find you guys out and about? Uh, yeah, so we have two conferences this year, one in Europe and, and one in the U.S. And, uh, you know, our focus, you know, for the past couple of years, are, are, are we've been releasing a lot of tools and, and coming out with a lot of things, and, and we definitely have no shortage of ideas. But uh, our focus this year, as you'll see with the announcements we'll make at, at our two conferences, are, are really all about... Um, the themes of sort of simplicity and stability. So um, while we've done a, a big expansion over the past couple of years, um, we're really focusing on making everything that we have uh, work uh, exceptionally well. So uh, you'll see all our efforts, uh, they're continuous, but you'll, you'll see highlights of them at, at our conferences as well as some, some secret stuff we've been working on, but sort of all part of that theme. Um, and uh, as a business, you know, our, we've been, Focusing super hard on our enterprise products, so we've had uh, we've sort of not publicly like announced, but it's not a secret. We've just sort of rolled out uh, enterprise versions of Console, Terraform, and Vault, um, and they've been sort of for sale behind the scenes for uh, a number of quarters prior to our public uh, announcement. We just from just from people emailing us, um, and we, now we're starting to talk about them publicly and. Uh, we'll do more announcements and stuff later as we as we have more to show people, uh, and and that's sort of been the big push. So sort of turning uh, turning Hashicorp into a, a more revenue generating you know business rather than uh, purely just a funded startup, uh, making that transition happen right now, uh, and that's been going well. So that's been sort of the big both business and engineering side of things. Uh, we continue to see really. We're really happy with all the adoption. Like I said, with Vault, we're just really surprised um, how much it is. But uh, in the past, since we last talked, the other one that's really taken off uh, is Terraform. So Terraform has really hit an inflection point uh, in terms of its growth. And, and it's it's actually really hard to c c uh, control because uh, we recently like surpassed, and I'm not proud of this, uh, a thousand issues on Terraform. And there, most of them are feature requests, but uh, still, you know, that that's... By by you know almost five times uh, our largest uh, project by issue count, and so we're trying to get a hold of that and figure it out. But uh, it's all good, all good problems. He's he's running into the teenage years, Aaron. He's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Every day is a new adventure. Well, that's cool. That's cool. It's it's been. Uh, I I know you know we we Aaron and I always talk about this. Like it's 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 always cool to see the companies that we got to know when they were really. I mean, I think when we first met you and, and first started talking to you, it was you and maybe it's you, your one partner and one and somebody else. And now you guys are, right. you guys are going like crazy. So it's, it's, it's cool yeah. to follow how much it's growing up. So appreciate you always coming back and, and talking to us. 
yeah, no, yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun to to talk about you know change at a at a multi year scale. It's always interesting. Nice, very, very cool. cool, awesome. Well, I think we are out of time for this week. Um, Mitchell, um, thank you very much for for being a guest uh, once again, and and yeah, uh, you know, cl- a multi year Cloudcast alum at this point. So uh, certainly looking forward <laughs> to, to having you back on again in the future. But uh, on, on behalf of Mitchell and, and Brian, uh, thank you everyone for listening this week, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 